Well, I wanted to uh, give you a little brief introduction. Uh, I am Mary Casper. Uh, if we haven't already met, my dad is John. I have gone to church here, I guess, my whole life. Um, but specifically, I wanted to give you a little testimony about uh, Wednesday night and why I am very honored to be here. Um, I guess I started attending Wednesday night Bible study when my kids were in Iwana. And uh, Jordan Jones was our pastor here. And I remember, you know, kind of coming in the back and I saw a couple ladies and I was like, well, I know them a little bit. I'll sit behind them. And I just watched them kind of uh, talk before it started. And I just remember kind of thinking like, I want what they have. I want that kind of community that they have and that kind of uh, faith that they have. And so I kept coming back, even though sometimes it was hard because I had a baby at the time and lots of life got in the way. But, uh, you know, Jordan Jones used to do the Wednesday night Bible study and he was very enthusiastic about it. And sometimes I think, I've heard this when you're talking about teaching children, you know, sometimes more of what they absorb is caught than, than taught. So I feel like uh, my Wednesday night experience here, I kind of caught the enthusiasm uh, for reading the Word of God and for wanting to understand it. And, you know, I got to know uh, some people in a just in a more close way than I would maybe on Sunday. So I really like that, and I hope the momentum here for Wednesday night uh, kind of continues. And, you know, I want to, I was thinking to myself, I want to know the Bible like Jim Jones knows the Bible and some of the other people that I have observed. You know, it's not just they're just not casually reading once in a while. It's a, a commitment that's been probably a lifetime um, and that was uh, inspiring to me. Um, but if you're wondering where I've been the past couple years on Wednesday night, uh, I was helping Donna Dudar uh, and she really has that uh, enthusiasm too. So we helped with the middle school for a while and uh, I was excited to this year come back and do adult Bible study. And Tink came up to me one night and he was like, hey, I have a question for you. And I'm like, okay, here comes, here comes the, the commitment to doing a ministry for a long time. <laughs> he was like, I only needed to do this for two weeks, two Wednesday nights. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> so I'm excited to be here. Um, so we will do the video, um, but this, there has a little opening question, and it says, have you ever watched a movie in which the main character had a strong sense of purpose or mission? And what movie was it? That movie Taken, where he's looking yeah. for his daughter? Yeah. Yeah, that was a guy on a mission. Yeah. It says, as Christians, we, like some of our favorite movie characters, have been given a specific purpose uh, or ministry by God. We can sometimes be hamstrung by a number of things that distract us from our purpose. And Joby will remind us that God has given us a mission and will assure us that God equips us with what we need to fulfill it. So... Um, our verse is 2 Timothy 4, 5, if somebody wants to read it. And it's interesting because it's only a short verse tonight, but there's a lot in it. Chapter 4, verse 5? Yes. But you keep your head in all situations endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist, discharging, discharge all the duties of your ministry. 
just just check just yeah okay my version says as for you always be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of evangelist fulfill your ministry Josh, we play the video. Seven, we're going to be studying just one verse. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 says this. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, the reason that we're going to spend all of our time just on one verse is because here, Paul is going to share with Timothy, and God is going to share with us four imperatives. And he starts out with this, as for you. Now, this isn't just for pastors and ministers and and missionaries around the world. This is for every single one of you. Every single one of us who has called Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, as for every single one of us, as for you to be sober-minded. And the opposite of sober is drunk. So what he's saying is avoid useless chatter, avoid arguments that don't make any sense, that we should not be drunk on our ego, we shouldn't be drunk with emotion, that we should not be drunk on our insecurity. But we, like soldiers, should not get involved in civilian affairs, but we should be focused on who God is and who we are. We need to have right, clear thoughts about who God is and about who we are as his children. Then he goes on to say, do the work of an evangelist. That means whether you have the gift of evangelism or not, every single one of us are called to do the work of an evangelist. That we are called to, to share the good news of the gospel with every single person that God puts in our path. And when we do that, if we follow the footsteps of Jesus, we will endure suffering. You see, we live in a world that sells comfort to us every single day. It spends billions of dollars a day to get us to just hop on the merry-go-round of normality to do just what everybody else is doing. But when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we will go against the flow, and we will take up our cross, and we will endure suffering. And then he closes this verse with this. Fulfill your ministry. You are gifted for ministry. You are a significant part of the body of Christ. God has a purpose and a plan for you, and he has given you certain gifts to accomplish his plan in your life for his glory. I I don't know how old you are or when and where you went to school, but when I was in school, we had this little thing called the gifted class. And so one day a week, when I was in middle school, this, this really smart teacher from the high school would come into our class and she would announce, would all the gifted kids please come with me? And all the smart kids would stand up and walk out the door. And I remember me and all my buddies would think, hey, what about us? What are we gonna do? And you know, they would hand us some coloring books and say, hey, you can't handle the kind of education we're about to share with these kids. But in the kingdom of God, every single one of us is gifted. That God has given every single believer at least one spiritual gift, and he hasn't given anybody all the spiritual gifts. Therefore, as a body, we need each other. So God has wired you uniquely to be the cue that he had in mind when he created you. You see, I think probably one of the temptations that Timothy may have had is to be the next Paul. But the reality is we don't need another Paul. We already had a Paul. That God knew exactly what he was doing when he anointed and appointed Timothy, when he created Timothy, and God knew exactly what he was doing when he came up with the idea that is you. Have you ever considered this? That one of the greatest ways that you could glorify the one and only God is being the one and only you that he created you to be. Do not try to be like anybody else, but just be the you that he created you to be. Now, the problem is is that you and I live in a world of constant comparison. And things like cell phones and social media, 
are killing us because it baits us every single day to try to compare ourselves to the rest of the world. And when we compare ourselves to others, it is always a lose-lose proposition. You see, for a number of reasons. First and foremost, when we compare ourselves to one another, it's an affront or an assault against the Almighty God. Essentially, what we're saying to God is, God, you didn't get it right. You gave her too much. You gave me not enough. God, you gave him that thing that I really think you ought to give to me. You see, comparison always ends in a disaster because it either leads to arrogance or condemnation. You see, condemnation is a building term. It means unfit for use. And the enemy wants to constantly whisper those lies that you, because of your past, because of what you've done, because of what you don't have, that you are unfit for use. But the Bible says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the problem with comparison is that we always compare our B-roll to everybody else's highlights. That we compare our unfiltered life to everyone else's filtered life. And listen, I see it all the time. I live at the beach. And so weekly, I take my family to the beach and I see these families at the beach and there's yelling and there's screaming and there's seagulls and there's sand and there's crying and there's all kind of disarray. I've never seen a happy family at the beach ever once. And yet, before they leave the beach, typically the mom says, all right, kids, everybody gather around. Come on, honey, let's gather around. And they shoo away the seagulls and they wipe off all the sand and they dry up the tears. And for one second, they take this picture and everybody looks perfect. But they're not perfect and neither are we. And if we spend our time scrolling through social media thinking that's what a perfect family will be, then I'm telling you, it will always lead to despair. You see, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus shares three parables back to back to back, all to answer the question of what the end of the world will be like. And in the parable of the talents, ultimately what he is saying is whatever you do, don't waste your life. That we have all been given certain talents, gifts, aptitudes, resources, experience by the one and only God for his glory and our joy. And the one talent guy, because he's afraid, he goes and he buries his talent in a hole. And the master says that he is wicked and slothful. And then to the two-talent guy and the five-talent guy, as they are settling accounts with the master, and every single one of us one day will settle accounts with the master, and everything that we have been given will either bring us reward or regret. And what's incredible is that the two-talent guy spends zero time comparing himself to the one-talent guy or the five-talent guy. And the master spends zero time comparing them to one another. But he only holds them accountable to what they have been given. And both the two-talent man and the five-talent man get the exact same reward. The master says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say good and fruitful because the fruit is up to the master. But well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, nothing will kill God's call in your life like constantly comparing yourself to someone that God did not call you to be. So let me ask you, are you fulfilling your ministry? What has God called you to do? What gifts has he given you? What, what personality has he created you with? What kind of experiences, what kind of pain, what kind of desires and passions do you have? God gave you those things so that you could leverage all of them for the kingdom of God, for his glory and for your joy. Are you fulfilling your ministry? Let me ask you this way. If you could do anything for the kingdom of God and his glory and you knew it wouldn't fail, what would that be? And the moment you know the answer to that, the next question is, then why aren't you doing it? You see, the most God-glorifying thing you can do with you is take your one and only life and live it to the one true God, to be the you that he came up with when he came up with the idea of you, when he knit you together in your mother's womb to fulfill your ministry. Now may, by the power of the Spirit of God living in you, may you do just that. May you fulfill your ministry. Amen. So 
This says, why does Joby say believers need each other when talking on spiritual gifts? Because we all have different gifts and talents, and we put them all together and get the whole package. <laughs> well, to encourage each other, also, you know, you have the talent of, you know, speaking and working in the garden. I don't have that talent. I would kill everything out there. <laughs> you know, but I can, by telling you how well it looks and, and what a good job you're doing, it gives you that encouragement to, to do, continue doing it. So, you know, we can be as an encouragement to each other. I like what he said about the guy that was given many talents and the guy that was only given a few, they ended up with the same reward, it seemed like. And I have read that many times, uh, but I had never really put that together. Um, and that's kind of encouraging because I do think it's easy to look around at other people and see you know how obviously they have many talents and sometimes it doesn't make us feel so talented when we compare which they just told us not to but uh, I think that's a little bit of human nature to you know try to compare our talents with other people's and someone told me once uh, comparison steals joy and I think that's pretty accurate especially when I watched that it, it rang you know that was like ringing in my ears and the world we live in is um, a lot of comparing I think some people's talents are out out there and everybody sees it and knows it and other people's talents are kind of behind the scenes you know mm-hmm. uh, I know that the the Dorcas class for years, the ladies in there have been known for sending cards of encouragement to all kinds of people through the church, you know. And and you wouldn't know that a lot of times. And I think all of us here, Tammy said the other day, she says, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in that church that we don't know about. <laughs> you know, and every once in a while you hear about a little this or a little that, so-and-so did this and, and that. And so there's there's things happening all the time. And, and I think, you know, he said something in there about was it comparing someone's A game to your B game or something, you know, because you're, you're looking at that person that's, that everybody looks to and kind of, oh, I'd like to be like that. And and then you see yourself as down here and you kind of, that's where that comparison thing can drag you down, you know. Mm-hmm. We have to be careful that we're not putting those other people up on a pedestal and taking God off. Yeah. yeah. I believe that when you're born, God's got a plan for you. But the problem is, we're a free agent. And we stray away from it. It might be just as simple as making phone calls to people that didn't show up for church to see if they need a help or they needed sick or they need a meal. Or sending, like you mentioned, a card to somebody saying, I miss you. And I, I think that, you know, it ain't particularly the man up in the pulpit. For him to be real good, there's a lot of people in the background making sure that everything is right for him to lead the way. Yeah. Whether it's sweeping the floors, keeping electronic stuff right, the light bulbs. In life, I mean, simple things mm-hmm. can make the difference. And we all got it. I know at East Bend, when I was entered, there was a man that came. He couldn't, he was hard of hearing. I know he couldn't hear a thing from where he sat. But every service and every Wednesday, he was in that chair. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was his witness. Everybody else said, well, if he can make it, I guess I'll go. Yeah, that's just like, well, with it getting closer here, how many of us know who actually clears off the parking lot? So when we get here on Sunday mornings, if it snowed the night before, mm-hmm. the parking lot's cleared, the sidewalks are cleared and salted. Can we name who does that? 
you know, that's like those unsung heroes that, you know, people don't know actually who comes out and does it. I think it's a big deal. I really think that's a big deal, you know, to encourage each other and, and you know, and, and thank each other and and not for serving the Lord, not for serving each other or for, for what we're doing, but just like Bob said about the guy that's just faithful all the time is there, you know. So, and, but encouraging each other, I think that's a really important thing. This said, uh, having described in verses three and four, people who wander from the truth, Paul aims these words at Timothy. And Jovi said, if, people, if Paul was writing to Timothy, to what extent do his words apply to us? In what ways does our verse remind us that God continues to speak to us in his word? Are you talking about just verse verse five? Yeah. Okay, so I guess the week before we had talked about how people stray from the truth. And then five is kind of a transition, um, you know, urging Timothy to um, do his mission. So it was saying, in what ways does this verse remind us that God continues to speak to us in his word? I guess that's saying, if he was speaking directly to Timothy, but we can still draw from always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. To me, that makes sense that he could have been talking to Timothy, but his word is still speaking to us through that um, declaration right there. I think he's trying to say, use your talent for God and don't try to use somebody else's. <laughs> I mean, somebody else is doing something you think, maybe that's what I want to be doing. <laughs> and that's not your talent. Your talent, something else. So you're not going to play the piano, Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> when I go to hospital, and somebody said, "As soon as I get out of here, I'm going to start attending the church." <laughs> you know, and I always say, "Wait a minute, before you make that kind of promise, God put you here now, and if you make that promise." And you don't keep the promise, he might get upset and do more than what he's doing to you. <laughs> if you're going, if you mean it fine, and if you're just saying it, then you'd better tread on thin ice. Mm -hmm. I kind of got, I have a footnote here that, that for part of uh, verse five, I guess it's talking about um, when it says, let you keep your head in all situations. Um, it says, to keep cool when you are jarred or jolted by people or circumstances, don't react quickly in any work of ministry that you undertake. Keeping a clear mind in every situation makes you morally alert to temptation, resist, resistant to pressure, and vigilant when facing heavy responsibilities. So I guess when he, he's telling Timothy, when he taught us, you know, in your ministry, you know, People, there's going to be people out there that are working for Satan to try and get you to lose your witness yeah. and lose, you know. So if you're working and using your talent to try and win somebody, just to be mindful of all situations around you so you don't lose that witness. Yeah, I think two through five are kind of connected together. A little bit of prophesying in there where he's telling you what's going to come and be. 
think he's questioning about like the end times. So I think he's God's just telling us it's the same then, it's going to be the same now, and it's not changing. Or there's going to be a time where it's all going to be good. This is the, the times we live in, and it's not going to change. So be prepared to stay in the faith during that. I uh, was reading in my Bible commentary. Um, I brought it so you can see. Um, I found this in my mom's things a couple years ago, and I have enjoyed it because it's got kind of a history um, background to it, I guess. And I, I like another one too, but it has more of a personal spiritual um, background to it. But in the history one, it was talking about how, you know, there's a good chance this was happening during the time of uh, Nero, the emperor of Rome, who was uh, persecuting Christians in the great fire of Rome. And he was blaming people like um, Paul. And, you know, since he was kind of their leader or one of their leaders at the time, um, you can imagine what kind of persecution they were going through. And... I've had to jump ahead to study for next week, too, but this verse is just kind of in the middle between, you know, he's telling Timothy how people are going to be and how he's already seen people that are um, persecuting him, persecuting other Christians, and what those kind of people are going to be like. And then this is some of Timothy's uh, last... Um, some of the last things he'll ever hear from Paul, which is, is pretty sad. And it says later, um, it, it references uh, a lion. And they were saying that, is it Nero that he's talking about because he's going to see the emperor who will ultimately put him to death? Or is it the lion, you know, Satan? It's, it's difficult to know, but I thought that was very interesting when, when I looked into it. Um, but Barb, the, uh, one of the questions was, which of the four imperatives in verse five do you personally find the most difficult? So sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Those would be the four. It, which would be the most difficult and why? Mine would be probably the evangelical one, you know, because I'm not really going to, if I know a good people, a group of people, yeah, I can be talking to them. If I don't know somebody, I'm very quiet, don't talk much, you know, and, you know, then I, I find it hard to approach people. That's for me too. I'm on the fly kind of person. Yeah. Like someone said to me, I was talking with my mom after a doctor's appointment out in the parking lot. And um, people were just really nice today. Someone offered to walk with us in, just, you know, patient. And someone offered to walk out with us, just the people that were here. But she made a comment about, um, well, I'll just you know, help you and your mom, you know, I'll just, I'll just walk with you. And she said, it's so good she has somebody because I don't have any. You know, and I'm like, and I didn't really, you know, I just said, well, thank you, and you have a great day, but I didn't really say what I probably should have said, but I feel like, you know, but I'm, not, I'm good on the spur of the moment like that, you know. I think we can, mine says endure afflictions. I think we kind of relate to, you know, that, but I mean, afflictions can, that can cover a lot of things. <laughs> You know, so what what might seem like a big problem to me may not to you. Yeah. You know, and so I think our our talents and our personalities helps us even even through that. You know, as to what you know, I guess a pastor who's doing a message every week, he's kind of putting himself out there for a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. You know, and he some pastors can handle that well, and others can't. But and then when you talk about work with evangelists, I mean, you could, you could break that down into a lot of different, all the different talents, you know, and I guess probably most of us here tonight are of the age where we kind of have examined what we 
kind of begin to learn what you're good at, what you're not, maybe at this point, you know, what you enjoy, what you don't, what what comes easy and where you feel like God can use you and things like that, you know, you're still still I'm still figuring it out, you know. So I might be speaking for myself there, but uh the, the whole thing of evangelism, there's so many, that looks like so many different things for all of us, you know. Like, like I said before, the ladies that send cards, that's that's one form of making phone calls or encouraging someone or inviting them to church, uh, helping them get here, you know, there's just making sure the church is in, like Bob said, the, the heat, the furnace is working, everybody's comfortable, and, and the whole service goes off as planned, you know, that's, it takes people all along the way. And, and uh, you know that's that's there. That's everybody's evangelistic effort. Yeah. We always think of evangelism as knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's where we really, and that's what scares about all of us. You know, but that's where we go to most time when you think of evangelism. You know. Well, yeah. I was reading the last three backwards. So if you start with being an evangelist, that kind of lines you up for potential suffering and then you might need to be sober minded (laughs) when you get into a situation like that um (laughs) but you know that kind of and that that statement fulfill your ministry Mm -hmm. that kind of helps to take some of the pressure off maybe you know because if you realize well that's not my ministry and that's not my ministry this is my ministry so i don't have to think about or wish that I was there able to do this or do that kind of what they say now they stay in your own zone or something stay in your zone Um, Paul's first imperative to Timothy is always be sober minded or self controlled and clear headed Um, Joby says we should avoid things like useless chatter senseless arguments and avoid being drunk on ego emotion or insecurity how difficult is it for you to be sober-minded and what steps do you take to keep yourself self-controlled which barb has touched on that one a little bit already Um, this one's been a little bit convicting because I watched this a week ago and now every time <laughs> the opportunity for useless chatter <laughs> presents itself, I'm like, <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> I got to think of something else to talk about real fast. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's telling us to get to the point. If you don't talk with somebody, don't just make it useless. Make it, try to think of a way to make it valuable. You know, for the Lord and some, some, throw something in there, you know, then it wouldn't be useless. I was thinking, how do you keep yourself controlled and clear headed? So I was thinking, uh, praying for focus for your ministry and for your mind, because sometimes we get a little distracted by the current of, of our times and uh, kind of avoiding certain people that <laughs> uh, are, can sometimes be a bad influence. And um, that can be hard to do though. When I think of the in control and stuff, I, I think of Larry Ryle. And the useless chatter, I can kind of put these two together. You know, he was chairman of our deacons years ago. We'd all sit and have 20 minutes of chatter discussing something. And Larry would sit there quiet and calm. And when we all got done, <laughs> he would sum it all up, put it together, and kind of throw out, okay, here's, this, here's what we need to do. You know? So he didn't get involved in the useless chatter so much, but he listened to it. <laughs> and he didn't get upset about what we said or anything or anything like that. And then when, it, when we were all finished, he, he would reiterate what made sense, 
and and point out why it did, and the next thing you know, he's, yeah, well, it's, yeah, you're right. That's, that's what we need to do. <laughs> so it was really cool. I enjoyed that. So he was keeping his head and all the situation going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he had a lot of them going on. Yeah, he dealt with people all day long, you know, and issues. I liked his illustration about people at the beach, families at the beach. (laughs) And sometimes I think, uh, you know, how many families going to churches like that? Like, (laughs) everybody. (laughs) Wave your tears before we get in the door. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, you just try to. it It shouldn't be about what everybody looks like. But on the other hand, it's. Um, part of the culture that we live in, I guess. That's just like, you know, him, God telling us not to be envious of, you know, other people's talents or envious of what, you know, people have, you know, been given. Because like also the parable of the the workers, you know, the same, the person who started at 6 o'clock in the morning is getting paid the same thing that somebody still that is getting paid starting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when putting times at 4. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it's just like, it's just letting us know, you know, we're all, we're all the same instead of looking to see what I have or what somebody else has that I don't have. You know, we may have something that they know, but we don't, we don't see that. <laughs> and sometimes what we wish we had, we see families and it's like, oh, I wish I had that. And within that, what that family has. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those families have that facade that he was talking about, mm-hmm. and there's much more darkness within that family than we could we never fathom. This says, in what ways can the knowledge of God and the proper knowledge of ourselves keep us sober-minded? I think that, uh, in what ways can the knowledge of God and the proper knowledge of ourselves keep us sober-minded? Well, I think also just being in the Word of God to remind you, you know, <laughs> how humble you should be so you're not drunk on your own ego. And then um, just the kind of focus to focus you on your ministry and your mission. And, uh, but to also remind you that you're a, a sinner. And, um, so I would say that's. Yeah, we don't want to be too quick to judge. They didn't give me a lot of easy ones tonight, did they? <laughs> I, I learned a lesson not too long ago. And, uh, uh, I just recently met a guy and didn't know him before. That usually don't stop me. So I had in my mind that I need to try to be encouraging and all this and this and this. And what I found out, or what happened was, when I started to introduce myself, I found out really cool about him at first. <laughs> but what he really wanted to do, he wanted to tell me about some real serious problems he was going through. So I heard, I heard God in the background say, just shut up and listen. And that's what I did. I had say five minutes. And when we got done, he thanked me so much just for, basically, just for listening. And, and through that, I have been able to encourage him, you know, as I got to know him better. So, it's just, you know, I, I think we sell, we sell ourselves short on what we can do for God if we will allow Him 
can work through us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting up there in years, but no, I'm starting to learn that. <laughs> Uh, Paul tells Timothy to endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist. Uh, Toby, uh, Jeremy tied these together by saying uh, we should share the gospel with others. We will at some point endure suffering. Why does Jeremy connect these two? And why would sharing the gospel lead to our suffering? Because sometimes people will reject that and I've had it happen in my own life which caused some serious family issues and it makes you want to back off um, but you, you have to keep pushing and I think it's just you know you gotta follow the example of Jesus Well, he tells us, you know, blessed is he who, you know, is persecuted for my sake. I mean, look at the persecution. He went through not even before going to the cross and, you know, everything he endured before the crucifixion. I mean, just his daily um, being, you know, trying to be captured and killed or stoned or questioned, you know, he was being persecuted. You know, a lot of times we just have to stop and think of, about the brutal um, uh, I just said it 15 million times. Persecution. Um, you know, but he, he had daily persecution. You know, he's just letting us know that, you know, we're going to have to endure that for his sake. You know, but blessed is those who are persecuted for him. Well, and I think J.B. was talking about we live in a culture that seeks uh, self-comfort and um, evangelizing and that just kind of lines you up for uncomfortable situations, like you said. Uh, Sometimes you're just the messenger that's getting shot because (laughs) they don't want to hear it. You know, they, they don't want to hear from God. It's not necessarily anything personal, but that's uh in the workforce it could be you know the wrong person could could make you miserable at work if you if you witness to someone who rejects and you know that it could that could mean you could be persecuted there (laughs) in some respects How do you combat the tendency to compare yourself to others? I love me. I love who I am. (laughs) I love that I'm not like other people. It took a long time to feel that way, though. (laughs) You know, know, I think every teenage girl, probably boy, too, just that comparison. I feel like that lasts for a long time. I don't know what age as a woman, or maybe it's just when you get enough confidence to not feel that way anymore that you don't need to compete with other women. Like we're here to cheer for each other. You know, we need to be each other's best friends. Not like, well, ah, Heather's skin is so much darker than mine. You know, we just need to be our best friends and best cheerleaders for each other and really love yourself first, really. I think that's when you stop comparing yourself is when you really love yourself. (laughs) Well, and I think when you fill that space with, I'm a child of God, instead of, I need to be, uh, feel like I'm better than someone else in some way or compare myself in some way. I think that when that space is filled with God, then suddenly that's not as, as important. But I think that's when he was trying to make the point, comparison is a form of condemnation. Yeah, and I never really thought about it in the way that he said, like, (coughs) when you're telling God that 
he messed up because he didn't make you more like someone else that never really thought of it in that perspective before, but that was, that was eye-opening to me. Um, is there anything stopping you uh, from fulfilling your ministry now? And if so, what is it? I guess if we were to admit there's fear there so much, mm-hmm. you know, of what you can't do or whatever. And so if you think about that, to me, if you think about the Holy Spirit living within us and the power that gives us, I think the more we understand who we are in Christ and how He's there with us, uh, I think that that can take away the fear and uh, give you some boldness and to realize it's it's not you, it's God using you, you know. Uh, I know that's all easy to say, but still you got it. You got to step out there, you know. And it kind of goes back to what Joy was just saying. You got to have that confidence in yourself. You know, confidence that you are that child of God and that He is, you know, even though you may not have the words, He's going to give you the words of what He says. Because He knows that other person's heart. He knows what they need to hear. So He's going to give you that, and you, you, you're not going to have to try and do it. Or, like, you know, John was just saying. Instead of speaking, just being able to sit and listen. You know, but we've got to have that confidence in ourselves that we are that child of God. Uh, let's see if I can put LD on this one. Uh, when he used to say, uh, I can't, you can. You never said I could. You only said that you would. Mm-hmm. And I think of that a lot when it comes to uh, the fear of evangelizing because I don't have that confidence at this point, but I do have a lot more confidence uh, that, that God could do that. So, But yes, yeah, since TJ was quoting a lot of LD, that, that reminded me of that. <laughs> But a lot of what we do is what we always talk about is planting seeds. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to, very seldom would you get into a conversation and get far enough and deep enough for someone to come to an understanding knowledge of the Lord in a, in a short period of time or the first time you meet them or knocking on their door. I mean, you, you know, so I guess I say that to say you don't have to worry about doing the whole thing all at once. God might have you there just for a portion of what needs to be said at the time or to comfort someone or whatever at that time. And then, okay, that needed to be done. Now I'm going to have somebody else do this and someone else is going to do this. And through the process of what God's doing, you can be a part of it. But you, you know, we say all the time, you, you sow or you plant the seed and someone else waters and then the, and then God produces the the fruit and you know so but you can't be the harvester you could be you might be the one that shows up toward the end it could be could be you're the last step instead of the first step that, that's right yeah I think there is uh that can be really hard to accept that you might just be you know you could pray someone for your pray for someone else for your whole life and maybe not never get to see that payoff but you could still have the faith that it could yeah. at a later time and that's we've all been disappointed in ourselves for what we didn't say to someone along the way well of course we could say stuff to man too but we just have to trust that that what we said was sufficient you know, that, that God would use it when we were talking about TJ's sermon Sunday and, and whoever brought it up the part they brought up I'm like what? that's what you heard you know and so we all we all God speaks to us all different with the same message you know and this person picked out this one 
point that TJ made, or it, it really it was it was the verses he was reading leading up to where he was really going, you know. And but they they something in there spoke to them, and that really wasn't it wasn't his point at all. It wasn't where he was going. He was just setting the stage, kind of to say, you know. And so God speaks to us all different, and so even what we say to other folks or how we treat them or. But, and speaking of Larry Ryle again, he always said, lifestyle witnessing. You know, that was his, you know, just the way you live your life, the things you do, how you treat people, how you encourage them, whatever. That was that was a term that he used was lifestyle witnessing. I think we've all heard that and talked about it. You know, makes a difference. And that, then again, that's where the group coming together and everybody's talents within the church you know, it makes the body. It makes the body and makes makes a complete unit that can witness to somebody. You know. Okay. On a Sunday when the preacher is preaching, sometimes you'll think, "Man, that was a poor sermon." <laughs> but I honestly believe that sometimes a sermon is meant for one person in that congregation. And I always said I thought it, but when I was at East Bend. I had this one sermon. My wife never made too many comments going home on my sermon. And she looked at me and said, that was the worst sermon you have ever had. And I had to agree with it, really. But that week in grocery store, there was a woman visiting her daughter. She didn't live around here. She was in, came with her daughter. And she seen me in church, or in school, or in uh, store, and she came up to me and said, I want to thank you for the sermon that you had Sunday. We have been praying for an answer for our problem, and you sure answered it in that message. I never did figure out what problem she had. That she found an answer in my sermon, but that brought the point home to me that Maybe that sermon ain't for me and you. Maybe it's for one person in that congregation that it was time for the Holy Spirit to work on them. So don't be too quick to judge somebody by, you think, well, they're no good, or that message wasn't no good. But maybe it wasn't meant for you. Well, I think I've heard the bells, so. Uh, Tom, would you close for us? Heavenly Father, we just come before you so thankful for this day, this day of life, and we thank you for our blessings. We thank you for your love for each and every one of us, and we just thank you for the time that we've been able to be here tonight and, and to study your word. And we just thank you so much for um, for Mary being here and leading our study tonight. And, and Father, we uh, again just want to lift up all these that we've mentioned for prayer. That, uh, we pray for uh, healing for each one according to your will with, with each and every one. And uh, Father, we just uh, want to continue to pray for Brother Tate and Paula and the group that they're with and, and uh, in their ministry. Uh, over there, and, and we just pray that um, they lead uh, souls to your Father. And, uh, Lord, uh, we just uh, thank you for uh, the wonderful things going on in our church, and, and uh, we just uh, pray for our service this Sunday, and, and uh, pray that you would be with Brother Steve as, as he brings the message. And Father, just go with us tonight as we go to our separate homes. Forgive us and we fail, fail you. And uh, we just give the praise and glory to you for singing and praying. Amen. Amen.